Living the American dream, enjoying the freedoms, having the conveniences, this is good. But is it enough? The American dream is always vulnerable to the deadly blows of accidents, disease, physical disasters, and death. This is why the Apostle John's message in Revelation chapter 7 doesn't just talk to us about suffering in the future time of great tribulation, but it can teach us the meaning of our present suffering and how to get through it. Let's join Dave in Revelation chapter 7 for a study titled, Springs of Living Water. I think that all of us understand as we live through the heat of July and August the incredible power that the heat of the sun has. I want you to imagine that you had no air conditioners. I want you to imagine that there was no place that you could go and get an air conditioning. Imagine that you had no roof over your head. You couldn't go to your home. You couldn't get the shade. In other words, just imagine being outside and the sun is just beating upon you. All of you have had experiences like that. You've all been trapped outside. Maybe you've been hiking. Uh, maybe some of you, I remember when I was working construction, when I first started seminary, I remember working in all summer long and out there with that chalky white dirt and the sun beating upon that. And man, it would get up to about 104. And boy, by about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, your brains were fried and your body was fried and everything started to, to wrinkle and to shrivel and you desperately needed a drink. All of us can remember times in our life when we felt that. As we look around the world today, there are many people that are facing just that situation today. In other words, they don't have homes where they can go to escape the heat. We have African brothers and sisters that don't have adequate places to live. Many of them have had to flee from their homes and they don't have any air conditioner. And as the sun begins to beat upon them, they suffer incredibly in a very powerful physical way. And they know what it is. Like if I, if I were to teach a group of African believers today from Revelation chapter 7, they would identify very quickly with the hunger, with the freedom from the sun and the, and the deliverance from the burning heat. They would dream of being able to go to fountains of living water. For us as American believers, as I've been praying about this passage, for us as Americans, I think one of the hardest things for us to do is to understand that the present world that we're living in just isn't enough. And most of us, really, we can go into an office. We can turn on the air conditioner and it gets cool. You know, we can go into a home and we can get shaded from the sun. But the reality of the matter is, is I think that as I look over this audience today, many of you are suffering in ways that are not just physical ways. There's stresses that are upon you. There's burdens that are upon you. You know, all you need to do is have a little pressure in your chest and you feel, you know, your heart skipping a little bit and you feel that thud. Man, what's happening? You know, what's going on in my life? We go into an Alzheimer's unit and we're hit in the face with how quickly all the things that we thought were so important, homes and cars and having good jobs and everything, just like that, a few neurological changes in our brain and we don't even know who we are anymore. And that's frightening. That's the burdening pressure. It's the heat of stress. It's the heat of suffering. You know, when you're young, you, don't, you, don't, you think you're going to live forever, but slowly but surely, as you begin to face the reality of life, you realize that this life is a very tenuous place. This life, even at best, doesn't last very long, and, it, and, it, and crises invade it. 
I couldn't help but think, you know, here we were down at Tyler and we were camping out like we often do with many of our church family. In the early morning, it was cool on the beautiful sunshine. We'd come over the lake and it would hit the lake and, and just mirror it, kind of spray light all over the place. And it's beautifully green around there and great big pine trees and a mixture of hardwood trees all mixed in. And as I was sitting there, I could say, this is what, a little bit of what heaven's going to be like. And that's what a vacation should be, a kind of a little taste for us of what heaven's going to be like. And I got to thinking about it that almost every time that Mira and I get away, it's invaded, it's invaded by the reality that even if we're on vacation, we can't ever escape from the stress and the pressure of life. If you think about that, that really pulls you down. It hurts you. And it causes you to feel like, man alive, is life worth it? You know, is there ever going to be a time when I'm really going to have great relaxation and great freedom from pressure? Revelation chapter 7 talks to us about a group of people that are living during the great tribulation. They're facing the worst pressures that anyone can ever face. And yet it points us, it points us to their victory. What I want you to understand today is that if you've received Christ into your heart and joining together with millions of believers all over the world, believers that have come to know Jesus, they can look at this passage and get a little glimpse of where we're going. And one of the hardest things for me as a preacher to do, one of the hardest things to do is to help us as Americans who are just really into this. Our air conditioners work good and our homes are nice and we can travel and we can enjoy all this stuff. One of the hardest things to do is to shake us, to get us to realize that the kind of eternal realities that Revelation chapter 7 are talking about are the things that you really need to hold on to. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And I believe that he can take Revelation chapter 7 and he can use it to give you incredible hope today. Because the big issue that all of us need to ask ourselves is, who's going to win? Who's going to be victorious in the end? As you go out into the world this week, already we're starting to have a big divide. On one side, there are those that say, you live life for now. You live according to the values of materialism and pleasure and fun. You live for now. you got to go for it. And it's, it's, it's communicated to you in a million different ways. You know, I've got to be me and, and, and you, you know, I'm going to live my own dream, you know, follow the impossible dream. And, and just think of the song that are sung. Just turn on, a, you know, a, a good secular station and you'll hear the words of secularism. And they're telling you this love's going to be enough and, and this incredible opportunity is going to be enough. And if only you have this drink, it's going to be enough. And on and on it goes. And a lot of your friends live like that. Are you living like that? Am I living like that? In other words, if, if I just took my life and said, here I am, what's the meaning of it? Where do I think that I'll have victory? What's motivating you? What's driving you today? And one of the biggest seductions, it's like an intoxicating, terrible poison that's in all of our lives. It's this intoxicating belief that this is going to be enough. Just this life right now is going to be enough. And I want to share with you, this isn't going to be enough. This life always has an emptiness to it. In this life, the glass always ends up a little bit unfull. This life, as it grows older, keeps running out of gas. That's the whole nature of reality. And you're not, probably not going to like me for saying that, but from the depths of my heart as someone that's just a little bit older than some of you and a little bit younger than some of you, but someone that's experienced a little life, it's the truth. Everything that you do in this life 
is going to run out of gas. And every single one of you, as you go through life, are going to go through burning hot times where the sun is beating upon you. It might not be a physical sun. It might be a physical sun. But it might be just tremendous crises that come upon your life. Over the last few weeks, I've seen many people going through crises where their life has just completely fallen apart. And where do they look? Where do they turn? Well, Revelation chapter 7 answers that question. We looked at 144,000 Jewish men. We learned that from Revelation chapter 14. That in the midst of the tribulation period, and we remember the tribulation period is the last seven years before Christ comes back to set up his kingdom here on earth. And it's a time when God begins to shake things up for the Jewish people again. And he begins to reach into his physical sons of Abraham. And we saw that beginning in, in the first half of Revelation 7 as he reached out and he sealed 144,000 Jewish believers, Jewish men that would go out and represent Christ. We learn from chapter 14 that they follow Christ wherever he goes. In other words, they're very obedient to him in discipleship. They are not immoral. They keep themselves morally pure. We also learn that they faithfully bear witness to Jesus. This Antichrist begins to just shake this world. In the tribulation period, that great divide that I talked about, that right now we just begin to see little, little glimmerings of the kind of divide that's going to take place. But in the tribulation period, there's going to be a, an individual, and we'll learn more about him later on in the book, that's going to be like a, a, an incredibly suave, an incredibly gifted Hitler. Just like Hitler had a dream to unite the world under Aryan supremacy, there's going to come another great Western leader who's going to say, I can give you the answer to life. And all the world's going to begin to follow him and say, man, he's got the answers. But 144,000 Jewish guys are going to say, no. We missed it when Jesus came the first time, but Messiah, our Yeshua, is now our Savior. And they're going to stand against him. In fact, when I was a kid, I was taught that during the tribulation period that nobody received Jesus. If you missed it before the rapture, man, there's not a chance afterwards because nobody will get saved hardly during the tribulation period. That's not true. The book of Revelation teaches that there's going to be multitudes upon multitudes of people that receive Jesus as their Savior. And Revelation chapter 7 gives us a snapshot of where that multitude ends up. The big choice that these people were facing is, should we follow Antichrist? If we follow Antichrist, we can have a good life. We can have good businesses. We can go to the supermarket and buy food. We can do our own thing. We can raise our kids. We can have our life. Because Antichrist is providing peace on earth, goodwill towards men, especially during the first three and a half years. If we just follow his secularistic dream, if we just live for now, if we just believe in pluralism and we get rid of all this Jesus Christ stuff, then everything will be fine. That's going to be the big belief system that motivates people during the tribulation period. Now there's going to be another group and this other group is going to say, no, even if we have to be scorched by the sun, even if we're thrown out of our house, even if we lose our food, even if we have to suffer martyrdom and death, it's about truth. It's about Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. It's so hard in the modern society to help you to understand how strategic that is. But if you'll think about World War II, pre-World War II Germany, believers had to make a choice. There were believers who went right along with Hitler. In fact, they even wrote the justification for what he did. And it's hard for you on this side of World War II to feel that. 
There was whole German churches that said, Hitler's the answer, and he's going to bring us back to economic prosperity. We're going to live, and we're going to have peace on earth, and his dream of an Aryan kingdom, the Third Reich, is incredibly beautiful and marvelous, and it's full of art and beautiful violins and beautiful orchestras. And a lot of, a lot of so-called Christians fueled that dream. There was another group of Christians that said, no, the Bible teaches the absolute supremacy of Jesus. A man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up before German believers in large assemblies and said that, that Jesus alone is Lord. Jesus alone is King. We are putting our dreams in sinking sand. It's going to lead to wrong. It's going to lead to murderous violence. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer challenged the Church of Germany to not follow Hitler's Aryan dream. But most of them did. The vast majority did. And it plunges into the horror of what World War II produced. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his life just before the Allies came into his concentration camp. He was hung because of his commitment to Jesus. When we read in Revelation 7 about a future time when there's going to be those kind of challenges, I want you to know that in human history already, down through the centuries, many times believers face that choice. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in his son? Yes, I believe in his son into eternity, blast into eternity by death. Those categories, life and death, what you're going to believe is going to bring you the victory, those are the categories of Revelation chapter 7. And I want to share with you why from the bottom of my heart, as for me and my house, and I want you to join us, and I know that many of you have, I want us to believe that Jesus alone will give us victory. And I'm becoming more and more convinced of this because I've had enough time to be able to see some of you when you were young that made choices. Jesus is going to be my Messiah. Jesus is going to be the one I live for. If Jesus tells me to live morally pure before marriage and to keep myself pure and to have covenant faithfulness in marriage, man, that's what I'm going to do. So I saw young people say, I'm going to be obedient to Jesus. I'm going to go all the way with him. I saw some of you make decisions. I can't take this job because I don't think Jesus wants me to have that job. I'm going to take this job because it will honor him. And I want to tell you from the depths of my heart, those that choose to follow Jesus in the end are victorious. And those that choose to live for secularism, those that choose just to follow the American dream, those that choose not to let Jesus be the Lord in their life, they go through and there's times in their life where it looks like everything is going really good and then suddenly everything comes totally unraveled. And that's why this decision is so important. Jesus is not a savior that lets you halfway in and halfway out. And what he does in Revelation chapter 7, just before we get ready to move into the real jaws of the tribulation period, just as we begin in the coming chapters, we're going to have the, the trumpet judgments and then the, the bold judgments. We're going to move towards the great climax as the whole world is shaken. We're going to study the career of Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. We're going to see the incredible empire that he developed. We're going to see his false prophet, the leader of false religion. We're going to see the, the secular Babylon, the great economic system that begins to dominate the world. We're going to see that whole thing come crashing down. But before we get into all that, John, like a really good teacher, says, hey, I want to give you hope. As you begin to face this great crisis, you almost feel like you're, you're river rafting. And as you're coming down the river, there's been some kind of rough rapids, and you've gone through some tough things during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, and then wham, it accelerates, and you can begin to see this gigantic rapids coming ahead. 
And the steersman of the boat says, hey, but let me tell you how it ends up on the other side. And that's what Revelation chapter 7 does. It gives us a picture of how it ends up on the other side. Look at verse 9 of Revelation chapter 7. After this, after this, after the stealing of the 144,000, after John's vision of these Jewish young men that commit themselves to Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count them from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. What John is saying is that in the tribulation period, there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that now worship the Son. And now John is getting a vision of them in the heavenly court, just like we saw it in Revelation 4 and 5. Right here we have the same kind of a setting. It's the presence of God. And I want you to see here that it said there's going to be a great multitude, every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. One of the things that I want us to be a first fruit of, Satan has done a number in the idea that we have Baptists, we have Assembly of God, we have Presbyterians, we have First Baptists, we have the Methodists, we have all these different denominations. Everybody's concerned, are you Methodist, are you Baptist? Anybody ever heard of that kind of talk? Are you Bible church? What I want you to be committed to is that we are the people of Christ. Everybody say that with me. We are the people of Christ. We've got to break down those barriers. Those barriers are not biblical. When you stand before heaven the, and before the throne room of heaven, the Lord's not going to have, you know, going to have the Bible church people over here and have the Church of Christ people way over there and the Methodists way over there and make sure to keep them all separate. I got news for you. As soon as you're, you're in glory, there's no Bible church section. You got that? It's ludicrous to think like that. I want you to attack that in a holy way. You say, Dave, why do you want us to do that? Because when you get focused on your group, you begin trusting in your group, and your group won't save you. Some of you were raised in churches that believe that they saved you through the church. The church cannot save you. I don't care if it's our church or a Baptist church or a Roman Catholic church or an Episcopalian church. A church can't do it. The church didn't die for you. It's really important to understand that. This is one group. Every people, language, and, and nation, everybody is united around the throne. I also want you to see it just lambaste any racialism, any social differences between us. It says here we have man, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. We need to be modeling that kind of unity today in the church. That's one of the greatest witnesses that we can be. As we tear down all the distinction between nations and tribes and people and languages, and we unite together. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's really true. Throughout the world today, in the course of this 24-hour period, that shifts with the sun in different time periods. In other words, 12 hours ago, Albanian believers did what we're doing now. They had their time with the Lord. They heard the teaching of the word. They sang to Jesus just the way you did. I know that's true. Pat, isn't that true? Dan, that's true. They were there. And you wouldn't understand their language, their different backgrounds, totally different, different cultural forms, but they are part of this great multitude of people that believe in Jesus. And that's literally true around the world. One day, one of the great joys of heaven is going to be that all of these barriers will come crashing down. It's just going to be those that are bowing before the Savior. And that needs to be our criterion for unity. Do you love the Savior? Have you trusted the Savior? 
Do you believe in the Savior? Because that's the only one that you can trust in that's going to get you through the heat of this life. He says there's going to be a, everybody, multitudes from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Remember the picture of the Lamb? It's John's beautiful picture. And in Revelation, it's the Lamb that was sacrificed for us, but he's now the conquering Lamb who's won the victory for us. Now, what are they wearing? What's the, the, uh, the wardrobe of heaven like? They were wearing white robes. They're holding palm branches in their hands. White robes in the book of Revelation stand for their purity. And we're going to learn just for in a few minutes how they have this purity and how John can make that kind of an audacious statement that these saints are now clothed in white. It also pictures them holding these beautiful big palm branches. We don't have any of those around here. But in the land of Israel, like if you go to Jericho and you're going on a procession up to Jerusalem, you can grab one of these palm branches. I've seen guys go with a big knife and cut off one of those palm branches and they begin to wave all throughout the ancient Near East, whether it was Jewish culture, like when the Maccabeans won a great big victory and one of the, the Maccabeans named Simeon came into Jerusalem after defeating the Syrians. The people cut down the palm branches and waved them in victory. When the Romans won victories in their battles, or the Greeks won victories in their battle, they would cut the palm branch and they would wave it. It was a, Throughout the ancient Near East, it was a symbol of victory. So what this is telling us is that is, is in heaven, these that are clothed in white, they're declaring they've won the victory. They won the game. They're now, they won the war. It's like V-Day. Some of you are old enough, to, and I'm not, but some of you remember the pictures of V-Day. Victory Day, when finally the war, World War II, was over. And you saw New York just explode with celebration and that incredible picture of the sailor that's kissing whoever knows who. It's supposed to be his girlfriend, but nobody knows who he kissed. But you can sit there. Remember from the time with the little kid, because I'd often go into Times Square and, and I'd ha- hear my mom and dad talking to me about the incredible relief, the incredible release, the incredible victory they felt when the war was over. That's what these saints are experiencing. The war is over. There's no more heat of the sun anymore. That's what it means here. There's a great victory. It means that you go through the heat of the battle, the heat of the game, and the conflict of the game. It means that the book of Revelation is declaring that those that are standing in the Lamb will one day stand before the Lamb, and when they do that, they're the ones that are waving the victory palm branches. That's the imagery that's here. What do they cry out to the Lord in a loud voice? One of the things you're going to need to get used to in heaven, and, and we're all going to have new bodies. We're all going to have new bodies so our ears aren't going to trouble us. And like Mary has really sensitive ears, and, and I've got a great big loud voice, so I'm continually irritating her with this great big voice. But in heaven, Mary's ears will be tuned, and my voice will be tuned. And I've got news for you. In heaven, it's going to be like a great shout. In fact, some of the worship of heaven is going to be just like you were at a Cowboy game when they just won the Super Bowl. Or some of you that watched the, um, the American women win the World Cup and you saw people begin to just cheer wildly. It would just thunder upon you. That's what the worship of heaven is going to be like. That's what these saints are doing here. They're shouting to the Lord. Shouting to the Lord. By the way, it wouldn't hurt some of you to shout to the Lord a little bit this week. And don't shout to him in anger. Shout to him in praise. It's really good to do that. In other words, just like you get excited when you just get a new raise, just like you get excited when you find out that your, your child is not sick, 
but they, that, that it was a misdiagnosis and they've been set free and you feel like shouting, go ahead and do it. Don't hold it in. If you've never shouted in enthusiastic praise for all that God has done for you, I pray that God will do some specific things in your life this week that will get you excited. If Revelation is inspired, heaven is going to include some shouting, powerful times of praise. On our next encounter, Dave will share some specific things from Revelation 7 that God has done for us that are worthy of our shouts of praise.